Yeah, I mean, right now the big push in accounting, you know, kind of sidestepping that is value added. What does my accountant bring to the table, right? Gone are the days, or should be gone are the days, where your accountant's just putting numbers in boxes. Welcome to the Small Nation Podcast, brought to you by CoverLink Insurance, where people are more important than policies. On this show, we unpack lessons from entrepreneurs, break down development strategies, and do deep dives on small town success. Our goal is to provide value to our listeners by hosting conversations that teach, inform, and inspire. Hey everyone, my name is Ethan DeLeon and I'm here in the studio with the founder and CEO of Small Nation, Jason Duff. Today we're excited to have a trusted advisor of the Small Nation team, owner, uh, JB and company, Jacob Badenhop on the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Hi Absolutely. Jacob. How are we doing today? It's great to have you in the studio. Thank you. Uh, Jacob is one of the people that I have on my kind of top 10 calling list. He's like my 911 <laughs> call to say, yeah. Jacob, I have this numbers accounting, business question, what do I do? Fix all my problems. Well, what I admire about him, if it's sending an email or jumping on a call, his accessibility and being available. And I think as a small business owner, having advisors like that, when you really do have a problem that they'll pick up the phone or they'll shoot you an email back to give you an answer is a really important person to find. So thank you for being that for me. Appreciate it. <laughs> yes, thanks for the call out and shout out for it. Yeah, well, you like numbers. I do. I'm a, I'm a little nerdy in the number world. <laughs> I do like Can it. Can you tell us, have you always liked numbers since growing up? Let's see. When I was a kid, I dreamt I was going to be an architect. Um, and believe it or not, I hate math. I always like to point that out. And oh, I'm wow. an accountant who hates math. Um, <laughs> but accounting is not math. It's numbers. Numbers and math are very different. And uh, that was, I think, mid-high school. And I realized I really liked numbers and uh, statistics and how things kind of tie out together. And uh, you know, I started taking some accounting and, and kind of fell in love with it from there. And it's just uh, kind of blossomed ever since. Wow. Did you grow up in this area then or were so you originally no, from? No, I'm originally from Archbold, which is in the far northwest corner of Ohio, okay. uh, right on the Indiana-Michigan line. So and then I, uh, I married into the central Ohio area. I see. So, And by the way, you chose well because your wife is also involved in your similar industry and practice? Yes. My wife is a corporate accountant, uh, and that's uh, so we met in accounting school. And uh, yeah, she uh, we, we have riveting conversations nightly about, uh, about accounting. <laughs> I bet. So, That's awesome. Yeah. So uh, wh- wh- where did you go to college? And then what was maybe your first job out of college? And Yeah. So I'm a capital crusader uh, or whatever they've changed their name to now, United or something of the variety, but in Bexley, Ohio, down in Columbus. So I spent uh, my undergrad years in the, in the big city of, of Columbus. All right. Uh, first job kind of after that, I, I went into medical practice accounting. Uh, is actually where I started, uh, I guess, my career and, and then ended up in a, in a firm. Uh, in the Columbus, Marysville area, nice. and that uh, kind of blossomed from there. So you kind of started off internal, like within a with a kind of company. Believe then? it or not, no, it was an outside practice management firm. Really? Um, so kind of similar to what I'm doing now, except it was just very specifically geared towards uh, uh, anesthesiologists, actually. Yeah. Wow. Very so. specific. Yep. Sweet. Um, well. I think one of the things we like to do in the show is just kind of give the lay of the land uh, mm-hmm. of of you know the different industries and different parts of of business. Um, and previously, I think it was episode thirty one or something like that. We had uh, Jacob Schrader on the show, kind of explaining a little bit of some of the the fundamentals. But can you maybe explain you know the financial uh, um, landscape in in general, and then kind of where you're at on that spectrum? Uh, 
as far as the financial landscape, do you mean like what we do or, or yeah, what like I do what's more the difference so? between what you do versus CPA versus like internal accountants? So uh, obviously CPA and what we do are the same thing. So we're public accountants, right? So CPA, EA, we all get thrown into the same bucket. We're public accountants. So there's kind of two spectrums in the accounting world. There's the corporate accounting side, which is what my wife does. She works internally for Newcore Steel and Marion. Um, and, and they take care of the day-to-day operations of the business uh, and report that out to SEC or whomever. We're on the public accounting side, so we tend to handle the smaller businesses uh, that need help, whether it's taxation, uh, payroll, accounting, bookkeeping, you name it. Uh, that's kind of the spectrum we fall in. Our firm in particular, we're kind of that bread and butter of we do everything for a small business you can possibly think of. And if there's not a solution that we aren't currently doing, we will find a solution for you. Mm-hmm. Whether that is we will hire somebody or we will develop that solution. So that's kind of where we fall in, in that spectrum. Well, Super I had cool. to question Google today to really understand what an accountant is. And uh, do you know what the definition of an accountant <laughs> is don't, according actually, to Google? I don't actually, no. Someone who solves a problem that you didn't know you had in a way you don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> so I heard that that definition, and, and here, here's the here's kind of the, the high level, is that being a small business owner, a lot of times you're so focused on working to build your business plan, you're working on finding out what product or services, and you're selling, and you're getting clients, and money's coming in, and one of the afterthoughts that you uh, kind of pop up later is, what do I do to stay in compliance? Like, yeah. you know, and what do I do as I'm earning money? You know, at some point. If you're making profit, the government's going to have some questions about that because they're going to get their share of it. And I run into so many people that start and it's like, well, I don't even know how to fill out this form or what entity to start with or to to you know create because there's so many different options. And how many pages are the tax code? Do you do you happen to know? I actually don't know. I, I, I mean, think it I literally have, could fill this room yeah. with yeah. paper. I mean, right? I know my master tax guide's about font five and it's at least six or seven thousand pages so oh my god but, but, but here's the point yeah. so for the small business owners that are listening coming to someone like you what's your advice and then how do you help them yeah i mean the first thing if you came in and said hey ethan i'm starting a new business yep. you know come in and talk to me and the first thing we're going to talk about is your entity selection because your entity selection can start you off in the right or wrong foot right out of the gate mm-hmm. uh you know you everybody watches tiktok they're going to tell you how to pay zero taxes well <laughs> It's not how it works in the real world. There is some taxes that get paid, but some of that starts with your entity selection. And that's the very first thing we start with, whether you become an LLC, we work with your attorney to determine, okay, what's your legal liability need to be? Then we look at what's the taxation liability need to be? How fast are you growing? Are you looking at losses your first couple of years? Are you looking at income for the first couple of years? That determines on how we set up your entity. Maybe you're a sole proprietor, maybe you're a partnership, maybe you're an S-corp potentially. Um, we generally stay away from C-Corps um, in, in this day and age. Now, that could change. Tax code's changing, so right. that could change. Um, but, uh, you know, that's kind of how we start. That's the very first lay of the land before we even really get into looking at your numbers and talking about things. Yeah. Um, even though that's all on the legal side, like we've talked about before, it still has an effect on... Yeah, the legal legal accounting taxes. teams always have to work hand-in-hand. Hand. And your insurance advisor, actually. That's the other one that has to work hand-in-hand because hand, everything we're doing, we kind of look at ourselves as we're, we're the where the hub and the spokes come off of us and we try to keep it all together. Uh, gotcha. And so that's how we find ourselves advising our clients a lot of times. Yeah. So I'm curious, the majority, like the, the, the majority of your clients, I guess, would they be coming in after their first year of business, kind of freaking out, preparing for taxes, or what stage do you typically start working with? It's your all over the place. Yeah, um, it was funny. Brianna, my office, and I just got finished talking about that. She's like, I feel like the last 15 people who've walked in the door have been the oh crap. Yeah, I've made a lot of money mentality. 
Um, this time of year, that seems to be what we get. Now, in the summer entrepreneurs, because we can kind of see our cyclical uh, time, yeah. our summer entrepreneurs tend to be ones that have thought it out a little bit more. Um, if they're thinking about starting a business, they roll in, we talk about it, we talk about what it looks like, things like that. Mm -hmm. Especially those who are buying businesses. Because right now we're having a lot of business transactions um, because older people are finally selling their businesses to some of the younger folks. And that's a lot of our conversation now too. Yeah, super cool. And then a, a lot of that, is that just you getting them set up with uh, some way to manage it themselves? Or do you guys like... You know, QuickBooks is a super popular yeah. tool out there. Is it, you know, getting them set up with that or a bookkeeper or something like that and then it's eventually all, coming back to you? Yeah, it's all over the place. So we always look at ourselves kind of your first stop. We'll either, we'll advise you on what we think the best option is. Because there's some folks, I can teach you accounting. Give me eight hours on a Saturday morning and I'll have you set up and going. And I know you've got the ability to keep it going until it gets to a certain size. There's others we come in and we say, hey, let's set you up on bookkeeping. We've got internal bookkeepers here that we outsource. We also do a lot of outsource accounting for folks that just outsource their entire back office. Um, and, and so we gear it towards whatever somebody is looking for and what we think their ability is. Because there are some people who will come in and say, I don't know anything about accounting, Jake. Just take it. Mm -hmm. Take it. Tell me what it's going to cost at the end of the year. That's the kind of mentality some folks have. But for the most part, we like to teach you. I want you to learn what I'm showing you. Yeah. Because there is so much in your data that helps you run your business. Yeah. And I think that's some of what we talked about before. What do you think um, for that person that's coming in that's brand spanking new? You, you mentioned the, the entity creation. Yeah. And then um, they're starting to collect receipts and mm -hmm. income. Mm -hmm. And they need to, they've got a checkbook and they're starting to put expenses out like at what point does it make sense that you, you know, take a step to get an accounting software or a system? So we look at 25 transactions a month is where I tell people to start thinking about it. And an Excel sheet goes a long way. And that's the first thing. When you are first starting out, open that Excel sheet. Just start writing it down in your Excel sheet. There's no need for writing it down on paper. Mm -hmm. At about 25 transactions a month is when we say, let's get you into QuickBooks. Let's get you thinking about booking your transactions, generating reports, what is reconciling your bank account, things like that. Now, uh, sometimes that changes. It depends if you're invoicing things like that. It depends on the nature of your business. We might have you start sooner, but generally that's when we start to look at it. This is kind of actually more of a personal question, but yeah. you, you mentioned you have uh, you know outsourced bookkeepers uh, that you know within your, your organization, but like for other listeners... Um, outside of like just your organization, where would you point people to, to find someone to help them keep their books straight? You know, start with your local accounting firms. You know, we're, we all have bookkeepers um, at most of, the, of most of the firms and, and the outsource accounting piece is becoming such a, it's kind of like fractional plane sharing, right? It's the net jets mentality of bookkeeping. We're all doing it now where we might hire a bookkeeper that might handle seven or eight clients mm. a month. And that's what their job is. You're kind of fractionalizing uh, the accounting piece and the bookkeeping. So start with your local accounting firm. If you have not started there, you know, there are some outside firms that go international. Um, but, you know, even QuickBooks has the fractional bookkeeping piece that's out there. But always start with your local account because you would be shocked that some of these smaller firms that have this ability that I think a lot of people overshadow. Yeah. Um, you know, I can I can name you the six of us here in Belfountain in particular. We all have some variety of bookkeeping service we actually offer. Yeah. And I think that's really important because um, your time is your money. Yeah. And it's figuring out what you're naturally really good at. And yeah. I admire, like, I think the goal is to become better educated about accounting. But you may wake up and realize, I don't enjoy doing it, or I'm not very good at doing these things. So, you know, assessing how much time you're spending on those activities, and if you can find a trusted partner. And I think that's where I really appreciate Jacob and his team, 
is, you know, we live in the everyday of our business, but to have another set of eyes looking over what we're doing and advising us on that is really important. Can you maybe speak in, in when you have worked with small business clients, when you start out with a very small company and that company ends up go, growing, you know, there's usually activities like hiring employees mm -hmm. and then um, spreading the trust uh, and it could be the trust could be as who's signing checks, who's taking money to the bank, um, just things that you have seen, and then also how you advise and support as those businesses grow. Yeah, it, you know, a little bit where we come in, there are folks that we write uh, checks for and take things to the bank because their staff is either not qualified or not capable or period just doesn't have time. Um, but we do come in from time to time and we set up the internal controls for companies because that is a hot thing right now on who should have access, who shouldn't have access, especially some of these businesses now. It's not uncommon to have a million-dollar business, a uh, small business anymore. It's pretty common. Uh, you know, it's it's gaining the trust of the employees. I know you and I have had the conversations uh, as you've hired team members and things like that over the years. You know, it's just finding the ones that you can trust and having somebody outside vet them as mm -hmm. well. If you have a trusted accountant, financial advisor, insurance, lawyer, whomever, have them vet that person for you, uh, especially if they're going to be handling your check writing or handling your bank depositing or things like that, just so you can get a comfortability level. Um, and then I always tell every small business owner, don't be afraid to open the bank statement. I know you don't want to look at it, but don't be afraid to look <laughs> at it when you're trusting somebody else That's doing right. it because you just never know. And it's not necessarily that it's malicious. Sometimes it's just people forget. Yeah. Uh, and, and it, you know, so always, always keep that peace in mind. Well, and I want to share a personal experience Um you know, that I have had in the company, and I, I haven't been very public about this. In fact, this is probably the first time that I've, I've shared it. Oh. But like, uh, you know, we hired, we, we had a very trusted employee in a position um, helping collect rents and manage our self-storage business. And with our self-storage business we, we, business, we rent storage units. People pay rent every month. Most of those transactions come in by credit card, but we do have some checks and some cash. And uh, after the person had been in that position for nearly 15 years retired, we ended up hiring someone new and someone that on the surface uh, looked really good, had a great resume, and was in that role for about two months. And it was the same time that we were going through changing our software. And when we were changing that software, we were moving from one accounting software package to another. And uh, as I, uh, I was working with our team, looking through uh, some of the numbers, I found a discrepancy. And for the, the longest time, I, I just assumed, oh, it's probably the software. It's a glitch. Like, yeah. And even the, the staff member that I was working with, like shaking her head and saying, yeah, like, I don't know. You know it, it's only, luckily, it was just a couple hundred dollars. Well, we let that go a few more months. And then that number, that gap ended up being um, several thousand dollars. And uh, what Jacob just shared about looking at the bank statements, and this is coming from a non-accounting, I, mean, I appreciate business, but I'm kind of a non-accounting person. But in the bank statement, um, there is a reconciliation that you, you can do at the end of the month uh, called your bank reconciliation, where you're looking at what your books say and then what the bank says, and you want those two things to match. And, the, and I'm saying this like my non-accounting brain. And we did that activity, and it was very clear that as I was going through what the accounting software in the book said and what the bank said was off, and what we ended up finding is there was a pretty clear trail that the cash that was coming in was posted to the software, 
but it never made it to the bank. And the same person that was collecting the cash was the only person that was in charge to get the money to the bank. (laughs) And can I tell you the feelings that I went through after I discovered this, I didn't believe it. Yeah. I was like, this person on the surface was so kind and so nice. And I kept trying to find a way there has to be a mistake. It's stuck in a desk drawer or it's, but the problem is, and this is the power of accounting and patterns. It was really clear. This wasn't just like one transaction. It was like eight transactions. Yeah. Yeah. Have you do you see those situations much with your clients? We do, believe it or not. It's more of a common. We have a a, a joint friend of ours uh, that we've had an issue with here recently uh, that we found some issues in. Um, you know, we probably find a half a dozen a year. Um, you know, and I always warn my clients, I, I can't find fraud. Uh, yeah. But if we, something's there, we'll we'll do the deep dive and, and see what comes out of it. But. Uh, Probably about a half a dozen a year, and it's the you have to have a lot of trust in the accounting profession. Um, you know, you've you've got to know that person that's sitting across the table from you, or that's your trusting uh, with your with your financial fiduciary yeah. duties. I mean, it's 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 a big risk. Well, I, I think it's a reminder when you look at um, there's a difference between being cheap and you know go- working to get and strike a, a fair deal. And there has been points in my life where I have been cheap in the side of things that I don't want to pay for an outside audit or I don't want to pay, you know, for a lot of consulting time. But I've recognized that it's okay to find someone that will look in and double check your homework. Yeah. Because uh, particularly, and we're just around that round right now talking about book accounting, we're, we're talking about bookkeeping, we're not even really got into the, the point of discussing tax. Right. Um, and I, I do think that's a, a big shift where the value of advice and the value of bringing in a team that have experience to understand tax is, is really another big way with your accounting firm to get a lot of value. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I mean, right now, the big push in accounting, you know, kind of sidestepping that is value added. What does my accountant bring to the table? Right. Gone are the days or should be gone are the days where your accountant's just putting numbers in boxes. That's oftentimes sometimes I joke to people and say my you know my tax job is sometimes just putting numbers in boxes. But gone are those days. Uh, and and if you're still having an accountant who's doing that, I think Kevin O'Leary said this publicly here recently, actually again on Shark Tank. It, you know, if you're having an accountant that's just solely doing your taxes, you're not doing enough. Wow. You need to go beyond that. It's the value of more. There's a lot more that accountants can do for you besides just taxation, and especially whether that's tax planning, that's the consulting, that's the accounting. There's a lot more that can be had, and you'd be shocked at how much that doesn't actually cost you because of the amount of money we end up saving you, whether it's your time or improving uh, procedures yeah. in, your, in your business or saving you on the taxation side. Yeah. Can we unpack that? So yeah. let's talk about the annual calendar for um, an entrepreneur for a small business owner. Yeah. What uh, in the planning pieces, like what does that look like of when those touch bases should be and the kind of conversations that you're having? It really depends somewhat on your business, first and foremost. Um, you know, there are some businesses that should be touch pointing every single month with their account minimum. Um, you know, those are those that have a lot of transactions, employees, uh, their business is up and down, you know, as far as revenues go throughout the year. Um, and, and they have a lot of a lot going on in the business. Those, you know, three, four, five million dollar businesses, that's that's a monthly touch. Everybody else at minimum should be talking to their accountant at least quarterly if they can, or at least three times a year. Sometimes that first quarter doesn't happen because your first quarter is kind of a question mark in the year. It's usually a slower point. 
Um, but at minimum, as a small business owner, you need to be touching base with your accountant after Thanksgiving. That is the uh, the busiest time for the year at JB and Co. is the day after Thanksgiving through the end of the year. Really? Wow. And if you are not touching base with your accountant, then talking about taxation, talking about where things sit, just having a general conversation of, you know, hey, I made X amount of money. Um, what can I do with it or what should I do with it or things I should consider? Because there are elections that can be made in, in the beginning of the year. It's nice to know. Um, there's things that we can tell you to go out and buy. I mean, sometimes you see people that say, I could go out and buy a car. Yeah, um, I, had five, I actually had five of those conversations this year. I'm not a big proponent of just buying to write down, but sometimes there's reasons to actually. Um, yeah. So just to share uh, a personal experience. So when he was saying that some businesses, it makes sense to look at things on a monthly basis, is that we try to close off the previous month's business by the 10th of the month as the goal. Sometimes it can happen further. And what that means is like, getting all your transactions in your accounting spreadsheet or in your software so you know you know how you did that month. And then we generate that report. The other thing I love to do is if we've got a year's business or longer, I like to run a report to look at how we did a trend report over the previous year mm -hmm. in that same month. And why is that important to see that data? Well, the beauty of that is we can now see what your numbers are telling us when we have comparative data. So I go back to 20, let's go back to COVID times we were able to use the trends to determine how things were, could look when we returned from COVID. Um, mm, you know, I think yeah. we have a couple of restaurateurs here that we worked with a lot closely because we want to know where are we coming back to? What do we have to look forward to or what do we have to plan from? Those trends help. Uh, and that also helps you look in your business when you have comparative data. Okay, what months do I have to adjust my budget for? Okay, January's down, March is down, things like that. Is that normal? Do I need to freak out? Do I need to adjust? Are there things I need to do? That's the beauty of comparatives. It also allows you to answer the question, okay, my revenue's down $10,000. Why is my revenue down? Well, it's because I lost a client. Let's look at adjusting our advertising, things like that, or maybe I need to adjust my labor force accordingly because I'm not going to get that back. That's really what your numbers are, are, are there for, uh, in my opinion. And there is so much you can dive into your numbers and find. Now, I can tell you, you can get in the weeds. Yeah. You can get in the weeds. <laughs> you got to know what you're looking for. Yeah. You got to know what you're, what you're watching. But your numbers tell a story, and that those comparative numbers give you the historical story. And now that we're post-COVID, we can look back and say, wow, I'm so happy 2020 is behind us. Let's not look <laughs> at that ever again. Right. Um, but those comparatives are nice to have, and it builds trends. And, you know, for different types of businesses, that's good. If you're in the restaurant business, it lets you know, you know, I'm slower this time of year. Maybe I need to adjust uh, my thoughts and spending. But it also gives you an idea of budgeting and cash flow and, and kind of extrapolating that way. A, a few areas that I pay particular attention to, if you look on this income statement, you're looking at trends, is I want to also understand the expense side of the equation of what we're doing. So um, the utilities category for someone that's in – uh, like has a brick and mortar operating business right now a lot of the electric costs the natural gas costs a lot of our utilities are going up um, and because uh, you know if i don't pay my gas bill i'm not going to have a business <laughs> i need to pay very careful attention to that line yeah the other thing a lot of um, consumers the way they spend money is with credit cards so i'm always really carefully watching what the costs are for my credit card processing fees um, because, you know, if, I imagine the listeners here, how many times are you contacted by a company to say, <laughs> I have a better deregulated energy rate or I have a better credit card rate? Well, the truth about it is read the fine print, mm -hmm. really do your due diligence Very because much. 
Um, I've been victim of picking a, a credit card processor that you know told me over the phone that I'm going to get a better rate, but then when I look at my financials, I, I'm up you know 20% year over year in my my expenses, wow. and that's a real it hits your bottom line. It does. And I'll add something into that too. Don't be afraid to share your credit card fee expenditure uh, with your other fellow entrepreneurs. In particular, I'm going to call out Toast for example. They will price match. They are not even across the board on their credit card fees. Uh, wow. Don't be afraid to ask the restaurant down the road what they're getting, things like that. It's not a hidden thing. Yeah. Um, just to make sure you're getting the big, the best deal. Because right now it is the biggest thing. We're seeing a massive shift from cash to credit, which is great because credit's instant cash in the door, mm-hmm. instant cash flow and things like that. But uh, don't be afraid to ask your neighbor. Yeah. I think that's really great advice. And then I'll, I'll just talk and unpack this because a lot of the small business owners probably care about this is I like to kind of occasionally jump on and, and read on the internet and different blogs of like what for my business, what credit cards I should have. And then, mm-hmm. so this is the flip side of the equation yep. with merchant services. You know, you pay anywhere from about 1.6%. Some of the cheapest that I've seen to processing could be up as close to three and a half to 4%, depending on if it's an, a rewards card or the way the interchange pricing works. So just imagine every time you sell something, 4% of someone uses, particularly what card they use, 4% of that money is an expense to you. Right. Well, here's the other side of the coin to win. And maybe we can talk about this is like, what bills can you pay that when you talk to your vendors that will allow you to pay by credit card? Yep. How do you help advise customers of, you know, because th- those quality card types are always evolving and changing. Yeah, you know, for example, for, for my firm, we've now moved about 90% of our bills are now done on credit card, wow. uh, down to software fees. I mean, we spend six figures plus on on the credit card line. I don't think I've paid for a Southwest flight in five years, you know. Um, There's perks to that, obviously. But, you know, selecting the card is really important. When you're a first entrepreneur, you know, you're going to get the Cap One cards. It's just what's out there. But you absolutely should get one because it builds your business credit. Also helps you be really easy at uh, categorizing uh, expenses, honestly. It keeps your expenses in check. And it keeps your employees' expenses in check because any credit card company, whether it's Capital One, Chase, American Express, you name it, as you put employee controls in, uh, which are which are kind of a you know it, it's a big added perk. You know I can cap out two hundred fifty yeah. bucks, or I get a text every time somebody spends over X, Y, and Z. You know there's some there's some intangible perks there as well. But you know it, it's the rewards are a fun game. You know we pretty much tell everybody to start getting a cap one card, and then the, then the graduating card is to get the chase card because uh, it's one of the better ones out there. And then finally, when you've hit the holy grail, you get yourself the gold American Express. <laughs> For the business owners, because that's that's it's really where you start building a lot of good credit. Um, you are able to accumulate those rewards quickly, um, mm-hmm. and you can use them for different things. I use mine. I joke. I use my Southwest card for for flights, but you know I use those for gift card rewards for my employees at the end of the year for some of their gifts and and things like that. And we use it to lower uh, some of the operating expenses on different things for the cash back, but. You know, it, it's it's a huge, huge tool for all entrepreneurs to have. Yeah, that's super cool. And I, I think it's important just to, to put a button on that. Um, you know, we just this year made a change with our Chase cards um, from the Chase Business Inc. cash to the Chase Business Premier. But mm-hmm. here's a caveat is with some of those card types, um, we moved, I think, from a 1% reward to almost a 2.5%. Um, reward with that particular car type. But 
you have to pay it off every month. And so it's important to analyze like how you use revolving credit because there's been many points in my business where I couldn't pay off the card every month and I needed that flexibility to do that. So you do want to read the fine print on those because those APR and, and annual interest rates, you know, in this high interest rate environment can be 30 plus percent. Yeah. I mean, we're starting to see some very ugly ones. But, you know, you brought up the revolving piece. You know, there's there's two there's two parts to that. Uh, if you're a business that oftentimes is a five or 15 day trailing uh, revenue capture, for example, a restaurant, you know, a lot of restaurants will buy their goods five to seven days out. So they have a five to seven day revenue capture. That's uh, about seven days till you get paid. Having the credit card and being able to extend your payment terms and get your cash flow rolling without having to dip into an operating line or line of credit uh, is, is immensely uh, frugal honestly, at the end of the day, because you're extending that interest cost that you don't have to carry. So, mm-hmm. All right. At this time, we're going to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. Come check out 600 Downtown Pizzeria in downtown Bell Fountain, where they cherish the art of making the most authentic, unique, and delicious, world-famous, and award-winning pizzas. Their team hand-spins each pizza the old-fashioned way and only uses the freshest of ingredients. Come see why they were featured on the Food Network. If you are looking for a dynamic workspace in the heart of Bell Fountain, look no further. Build Cowork and Space is your destination for creativity and collaboration. With state-of-the-art facilities and a thriving community, this is where innovation happens. Join them today for as low as $99 a month and build your success at Build Cowork and Space. Bottom line is cash is king. And in this environment, I mean, the other thing, and again, this is working with advisors like Jacob of learning these different terms about discounts. So this trade discount versus early pay discount. So, mm-hmm. you know, in your vendors, just think about this, the people that you spend the most money with, if you're not already deploying the the tactic that, that Jacob recommended of, of seeing if they'll accept credit cards, the next, very next conversation to have, if you're on the accounts payable side. So when you hear accounts payable, you're the person that gets the invoices in and you have to pay the money to the person that you got the service or the product from, how can you negotiate with them to get better terms? Yep, yep. No, that is extremely important. That's actually what my wife does, believe it or not, is she uh, negotiates terms uh, for for their business. Uh, That's one of her main duties. And it's immensely important to, you know, last couple of years, cash flow, we're like, you know what, let's just bury ourselves in debt because we're talking about two and a half, three percent debt, right? Now we're not talking about that anymore. We're talking about (laughs) eight, nine, ten percent operating capital carrying costs. So it's immensely. And and if you're the terms are important, the next thing you need to look at is multi-unit discounts or buy in bulk discounts. Asking the questions, you'd be shocked. And all the all they need you to do as the vendor is just ask, and they're there. Wow. Um, the one of the best pieces of advice I got in negotiating is just ask one question. Yeah, is that your best price? Now here's where people make mistakes: is they're not comfortable with holding silence. Yeah, the thing I tell everybody is the worst thing anybody can ever tell you is no. Right. Yeah, that's the worst thing. And even after, so Ethan, if we're role playing here and I ask you, Ethan, I want to hire you to produce this podcast mm-hmm. and you give me a rate. And I say it back to you, is that your best price? Oh, well, I guess maybe we could do this and this. What if we, and you scratch out the line and you, mm-hmm. you do that, uh, give me the new price. You know, my next question to you is, is that the best price? Yes. I, I have, I have been through this exercise 
with a number of different situations <laughs> in my life. I'm serious. We're, and again, you don't want to see too slimy. It right. seems like a, yeah. a, a, a car. You it's know, an like, honest question though, right? Like well, you're it, literally it, just asking, it is. is that now, the best you can do? I coach people on the other side of that. I'm going to tell you as the entrepreneur, <laughs> you know your time's worth never budge. Mm-hmm. Now, when Jason and I are talking here about is it your best price, we're not talking about Ethan and, and the small businesses and services generally. We're talking about our suppliers mm-hmm. and things of that nature because there is oftentimes a lot more movement than what the list price actually is. Yeah. Wow. That's some some goal you guys dropped there. I'm, I'm taking notes here <laughs> myself. <laughs> um, but I'm kind of curious. How did you get involved? Like what where did the relationship between your company and Small, small Nation start? Yeah, well, I, I'll just share, um, you know, when we started rebuilding Bell Fountain, we started um, helping a lot of our tenants start to build their businesses. And um, I think I'm the oldest one in the room. So I had, you know, some life experience of being able, I'm not an accountant, but I started to realize some of the things that we're talking about here. Um, and uh, we needed more help, meaning I needed more attorneys and CPAs because we had a really growing and budding um, entrepreneurship ecosystem here. So I, I, I believe Jacob, we got introduced. I think, um, I think you were doing, you had offices in Marysville and maybe upper Sandusky. Yeah. At that time we were in Richwood, Ohio. Richwood, that's right. The bank. Yeah. Yes. But I think our, our, a common bank, Richwood bank, um, who we've had Chad Hoffman on the podcast Mm -hmm. said, Hey, like these are really great, small town, small business, hardworking, great, accountants and and bookkeepers and 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 folks that can help with tax um and really it we get, we did a test project i think one of the best ways to get to know a new relationship or a new advisor is to say can you help us with this mm-hmm. and um at the time when i was building the business some businesses were very well organized because they had a good system a good process and and they were kind of dialed in but when you're starting new industries or new businesses I literally have a box of receipts. Shoebox numbers. We love the shoebox full of receipts. <laughs> things, and walked into Jacob's office and I said, This is this business. <laughs> but no, you you laugh. Yeah, and and no, I think I for know. people that are listening here, um, let me just tell you what it brought for me. Is when they went through it, you know, Jacob has a whole list of questions that he asked. And it really is like, tell me, you know, when was this formed? You know, do you have a tax ID? Do you not? If not, we can help you set this up. Do you have any previous tax returns that have been done? Let me analyze, you know, what was filed, how this was put together. And then they come in with setting up the system. So for me, you know, being able to um, implement a QuickBooks online account, moving from spreadsheet to QuickBooks, that was a good first step. Um, and, and I think, you know, with us working with him, then as we were, uh, other people were coming to us saying, man, your checks go out like lightning speed, or um, I just am really impressed with, you know, how your fast your business is growing. How do you do it? I say that we're, it's not just me. It's the advisors that I surround myself with. No, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. And I appreciate you taking the chance on us. You know, at the time when uh, we came to Bell Fountain, we were a relatively new firm, Um you know, we'd only been around a couple of years. Um, we expanded rapidly kind of in the Richwood area, and then we expanded rapidly up in the Upper Sandusky area. And we were looking to grow beyond that. Um, and so we came down this way looking for partnerships, things like that. And the one thing we've always liked to do is when we go into towns, we like to take, we like to leave our mark. And the one mark we always like to do is we like to be uptown. Uh, we like to be in the downtown area. We like yeah. to take old buildings and we like to make them new. 
Um, so Jason and I got aligned real quick in <laughs> yeah. that department. Didn't take um, long. You know, our upper office used to be an old Mexican grocery store. Um, yeah. You know, it was interesting. Um, you know, been vacant for a number of years. Our Richwood office had been, I think it was the bank back in the day and 30 other businesses in between. Um, and, and then we came here and, you know, Jason uh, said, that's your building over there. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, we started developing it. And it was, it was kind of, you know, it's one of the things we like to do. So that was, that was the other side of that uh, that some people may not know that uh, he helped us develop that building uh, down here as well. And it's, uh, it's kind of been the crown jewel, actually. It's where the Navy and the new logo came from because you picked the Navy. That is the exact Navy if you've never known that. Wow. Um, from your paint colors that you picked there for us. So, uh, that's, that's <laughs> well, blue is a trusted color. It, it is. Actually, it it is. You, there, there is a whole psychology of different colors and yeah. what mm-hmm. they represent. But yeah, it's blue, green, and yellow tend to be the trusted financial advisors. Um, and then red and yellow uh, entices appetite. That's why you see a lot of that in yeah. restaurants. Wow. Very interesting. The subliminal. Yeah. It's all subliminal, yeah. So, Mike, uh, I get this Questions geared more towards Jason here, but like, so you have multiple advisors in your your financial, you know, part of your business. Yeah. So, can you maybe talk about some of your thinking behind some of that, rather than just having like one firm or something like that? Well, I, I think um, your advisors need to kind of represent um, the brain type or style that you need. Uh, and, and I'll share when I first spoke with uh, Jacob, um, I, I work with three different CPAs that kind of handle what we do here. Yeah. Um, we have one of the brain types is a CPA that's been practicing for 40 years, 40 plus years, and is a multi-generational firm. And I would say the advice that they provide is extremely grounded, um, very conservative. And, uh, you know, the, the, the negative with that is sometimes there's not a lot of um, creative... Uh, ideas. Now, I want to preface when you hear creative ideas, it's yeah. not to say like something illegal. This is what we call living in the gray. It, it, it really it really is. And, and, and the other thing about why I think you need a different style or type of CPA and, and, and honestly, having having one kind of double check another's homework, it, it's the more brains that you get around the table there might they might see things or have ideas that um, you know one brain type wouldn't recognize or do and so the, the value I, I think of um, having one you know the negative I would say of the the more traditional firm is they're not innovative with technology oftentimes mm-hmm. okay they're not maybe doing the cutting edge kind of research on trending topics that are happening. Um, because they're they're just established, and right. so um, I, I don't want to say like I'm not putting a label of being good or bad, but for me, um, it has been very helpful because trust I think is the the most important decision in choosing an advisor, especially when they're seeing your numbers, they know you know intimately about your business model, your business practices, what you pay your key people. I would say the most important factor is trust. So, um, you know, and, and that's, again, the kind of people we have on the podcast are, you know, people that we have vetted, that we have known, that we have worked with for a very long time. And so, um, you know, I, I, I think that is a, is, a, is a really key element for you. And, and ask interviewing a potential practitioner mm-hmm. about um, their, you know, their, their client list, um, you know, how they handle conflicts. Like, it's all those kinds of things that will pop up from time to time, especially in a small town, because many of your local lawyers and your accountants and advisors could be conflicted in a number of ways because they may represent your competitor. They may represent 
um, you know, uh, an, an adversarial kind of thing. And right. that needs to be disclosed. And so a lot of your professional background is um, you're held to high standards with mm -hmm. that when you sign an engagement letter yep. and form a new relationship. Yep. Yeah, you know, uh, for example, you're not going to hear me drop clients' names here. For example, that's one of the big things in our uh, in our industry. We and I, and I in particular am a big stickler on. Uh, you know, you go to our website, you're going to see the five people have expressed written consent that said we can use them in marketing tools, right? right? Uh, but after that, you know, we don't disclose beyond that. And that includes uh, in the four walls of our office. If you're not on an engagement team and you're not involved in that client, you don't have access to that information. Um, especially, you know, we work in a lot of, like you said, we work in a lot of conflicted areas where we may have multiple different people in our firm that may work on conflicting clients and we don't let them intersect. We also don't let our staff intersect on those, uh, just to make sure we're keeping arm's length between everybody. Sure. Uh, and it's and it's immensely, immensely important. Uh, if if the, you're walking into an advisor and they're disclosing who their clients are day one, turn around and walk Red out. flag. Probably not yep. good. Yep. Yep. It, it, it's, it's a problem. It truly is a problem. Yeah. Well, can we talk a little bit out for a lot of people that are listening, they are entrepreneurs um, or they know of entrepreneurs, they're, they're investing in their towns, they're investing in their businesses, one of the other key pillars of selecting the right advisor, the right accountant, is to have someone that understands tax. Yeah. Can we talk a little bit about tax? And I'd also like to, to go in and talk about, um, you know, when you get your, your you know, income statements and you're generating, you're looking at your balance sheet. And th these are all financial terms. You've got your balance sheet, right. you've got your income statements, and your statement of cash flows. Like, you can, and again, I will testify, I attended... I'm a business management major. I took a lot of accounting classes. I still have no idea the practicality of those things <laughs> right. until I got out of school yeah. and started working with them life. But you you generate that, but then the IRS is hanging out here. Yep. And there, the state and the IRS are going to get their, and even the local municipality yeah, the are going to get their yep. money. Let's kind of talk through that <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, I guess we could dive into the, the fun... Uh, uh, abyss. Might have some PTSD. Here yeah, just some fun, some fun abyss of uh, of the tax code. Um, in, you know, as, as entrepreneurs, uh, we sometimes get fixated on the tax side uh, a little bit. And, and I will tell some people, don't sweat it. Uh, don't, uh, just because you think you're going to, don't sweat it. But when you're selecting an advisor, ask very, very specific questions to your industry. Even if even if it's a Google search. I like when people come prepared to their meetings and ask me questions that are completely off the wall because I like to educate them and school them and, and give them a direction. Um, but that's the very first spot you're going to do. And, and second thing, ask them the industries that they specialize in, if they say everything. Granted, are there are a lot of firms out there that do specialize in a lot, uh, whether they have very specific people in the firm uh, that maybe uh, have different expertises, things like that. But those are good questions to ask. That's the first thing as an entrepreneur you should be asking when you're walking through the door. You know, the other item you should ask, do you work with small businesses? Small businesses, I believe the mnemonic's what, 100 million or under, I think is the term now. But, uh, you know, do you work with small businesses? And if their answer is no, uh, that's probably not the right fit for you as an entrepreneur because you are going to want somebody who is eat, sleeping, and breathing in that space. Yep. And knows your concerns and, and can address exactly. them directly. And I always tell people, too, I'm an entrepreneur myself. I'm right. living in your world right now. I'm growing just like you are. So chances are I'm practicing what I'm preaching one way or another. Yeah. You know, um, but I guess going back to, to that kind of uh, expertise style, you know, make sure if you're a real estate developer, so I'm pick on Jason for a second, that the person that you're engaging with understands real estate and understands the complexities of new real estate and things like that. Or, you know, I'm a farmer passively on the side. 
know that they know agriculture world. Ag business is a huge piece right now that's floating out there. Make sure they understand what they're talking about. Well, you know, and you can ask some basic questions real quick and find out. Well, and the, the, the big thing that um, I have really benefited learning from people like Jacob is understanding depreciation. Yeah. And mm, it's um, a fun piece. The, one of the, the, I have got a joke on my list. So, <laughs> what do accountants suffer from that ordinary people don't? Depreciation. Ooh. Ouch. Oh yeah. Ouch. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, I know. So, wow. but here's the, here's the good thing. Where's the shot of Here's the good thing. It actually is probably one of the most amazing, powerful tools in your tax arsenal. Can you, in a brief, explain what it is? Yeah, it really is. So, uh, you know, I go back, let's go to real estate developers for a second. Depreciation is utterly important because it's something called quip and crip. Uh, it's qualified improvement property. Uh, we like to use acronyms in our profession. Yeah. So we call them TLAs. Those are two, three, or we call them two or three letter acronyms. Um, but quip and crip property are the biggest things that are going on. It allows you to accelerate depreciation under 168K, uh, and it allows you as a real estate professional uh, who may otherwise not get to take depreciation or may not get to take it for less than 27 and a half or 39 years, depending on the flavor of business you're operating, to accelerate and rent it off in the first couple of years. Uh, and it's a um, huge piece that uh, I see daily that is missed. Um, wow. It is a wild, wild area that I don't know why a lot of folks miss it, but it's oftentimes missed. It is what allows developers, it has allowed real estate professionals to reinvest that money. And that's what it was designed for. Yeah. Uh, and that's where depreciation really comes into play. Because that depreciation, all of a sudden, the interior of that building that you may have depreciated for 39 years, you might now depreciate into seven years or immediately expense yeah. it, depending on your situation. That money allows you to quickly reinvest into your next project. So and, that and the, is the that is an extreme example, but that is one of the things that we often see missed. Yeah. So you, you buy a building for a hundred thousand dollars, and you improve it with thirty thousand dollars in capital. Uh, that amount of money, you know, depending on the IRS's schedule, you may get to take a small little bit off your taxes every year over thirty nine years. Mm -hmm. But there are different parts of the tax code that say actually. That expense that you made because you're putting it in HVAC or you're putting it in um, certain fixtures or displays, you might get to write it off for 15 or even 7 or sometimes even less. And so as you're writing that off and lowering your tax burden that you owe the IRS, do you think the asset, if you were to sell it to someone else, is worth a lot less? Oftentimes it's not. Oftentimes it's worth more. So you know, for many of the real estate investors that are listening, that's probably one of the greatest hacks for why real estate investing is one of the most powerful tools to build wealth. Yes. And most people, and I'm saying most people, I bet you 80, probably in 80, 90% of population do not understand the principle of depreciation. They do not. No. Yeah. I mean, you, you probably know the farmers that are out there going, hey, you know, I wrote off a million dollars with equipment and bought a new F-250. Okay, those are extreme examples. But yeah. for the average Joe, most don't understand, uh, I shouldn't write everything off to zero every year. I shouldn't depreciate everything. Maybe I should build what we call depreciable base, uh, which is where we tax plan over numbers of years instead of just one year. Uh, and, and, you know, some people just don't understand the purchasing of that capital asset on debt uh, can sometimes, even though the cash isn't ex exiting the door, we might be realizing all of that expense in a current year because there's a benefit to do so. 
and, 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 you know, you're right. Depreciation is probably one of the most misunderstood or yeah. misutilized pieces of the tax code. I think enough people can scratch the surface, but uh, the vast majority don't actually dive down and, and get to the meat to it. And, and my point in bringing that up is that when you reduce your taxes, you have more money to invest in your business. You have more money to hire more employees. You have more money to give back to your community. So, um, and I know many of the folks that are listening to this are already doing all that, but like we want to, you know, help educate and prepare people about what they're leaving on the table so they can keep more of that money to do more. Exactly. And and we, and I want to be crystal clear. I'm not an advocate for let's run it down to zero. Let's take all of our depreciation and show no income because there's reasons we do show income. Now, in real estate, we like to use the hack because otherwise we never even see it a lot of times because we're going to be retirement age before we fully depreciate it. But for everybody else, sometimes we don't show it because we want to get to a 10 or 15 percent effective tax rate because we're smoothing out your tax rate. Or we're getting you, we're lending, or lending's a big concern next year. So we want to make sure our uh, financials show a strong lending perspective. So we may not depreciate at all. Um, or we're getting into a point of selling. That's a big hot thing in business right now, getting into point in selling. And, and we don't always want to show the massive losses. And we want to have some of that residual left over for the time of sale as well. So don't know. It's not a one size fits all depreciation and, and TurboTax makes it way too easy to call it a one size fits all. <laughs> it's not uh, in a lot of, and this is where planning, you know, we're planning your depreciation in November yeah, or December in a lot of cases, let alone in March and April. Um, so, you know, it, it's just very, it's a, it's a very important piece that people need to expand well beyond what we're currently doing. Yeah. For sure. The the other big thing that I'll just share, um, you know, moving into uh, incentives, particularly that may be available to small businesses that, mm-hmm. that are listening. Um, recently, I wanted to do something for my employees, mm-hmm. and I want to do something to set them up long term for their success. And we were really tooling up implementing a new 401k program. Yeah. And as I was doing more research about that and involved. Jacob and other advisors, I realized there were benefits to me and my company by working to create a new um, group retirement benefit that um, our company would match, you know, up to 3% of a contribution if our employees chose to contribute to a 401k program. And we got over 90% of our staff um, opted to do that, which is a huge win for them because they're, you know, they're contributing 3% or more. We as a company are matching that and they're starting to build their retirement program. Plus I got a benefit for implementing this plan um, and and providing training and support mm-hmm. for them to do that. So can you maybe speak a little bit? Yeah, just things so, like that? so that credit's out there. So there there is a credit for, and I'm, I'm, I'm blanking on the name, It's we'll call it the retirement credit essentially for small businesses. And there is a, a credit you get to claim back for the implementation. So whether you do a 401k plan or a simple IRA plan, those are the two that qualify. Uh, you get to write uh, or basically take a credit directly back f- uh, from the government against your tax liability for the implementation cost. Now that's up to... 500, I think, this year, um, and I think it was up to 1,500 next year. Um, but there also is an extended piece to that now that came out in some recent legislation that also allows you to cover a portion of the contributions you are matching for your employees, wow. um, which ends up being a, a big piece. And that stair steps down over a course of uh, five years uh, yeah. of what you get to retain there. Uh, and it's a huge, huge uh, a benefit, uh, especially on the retirement side. And it's only encouraging small businesses like you know, oh. a small nation to, to provide 
those opportunities you know, and, and for their employees. There's, there's one step further to that, too. There's an uh, expanded FMLA credit uh, that goes beyond the retirement piece if you offer paternity and maternity leave. Uh, wow. Medical leave yeah. to where you get a credit in addition to providing some of those services um, that you know, uh, a bigger f- company of 100 employees may be able to offer that your company of five may not, but the government does have some credits out there to help offset your Why do you think we sh- we're seeing those changes? We're finally seeing a shift in yeah. uh, in in the stigma of, of retirement benefits, small business. Small businesses uh, sometimes are looked as like, oh, we're not as cool as, as corporate mm-hmm. jobs. Uh, and Less secure, say, maybe. I would say in the last 10 years, that's been a complete flip-flop. Uh, where small businesses truly are the backbone. We're finally seeing a lot of success with uh, people being in small business uh, and and people have lost trust in some of the bigger corporations uh, to where employees are more comfortable. And now with some of these implementations, we're finally able as small business owners to implement some of these benefits we otherwise couldn't. Yeah, Um, that's really cool. You know, I always tell somebody, just ask the question because chances are there's a tax credit out there for it somewhere. Yeah, wow. Well, I appreciate you know the adv- the uh, the knowledge that you've shared with our listeners so far, but I kind of want to focus on you a little bit as an entrepreneur too. Sure. So, I mean, you just recently went through a pretty big uh, rebrand. Yes, it is. So, can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah. So, we uh, just recently rebranded. Um, I was in a business partnership, um, and uh, you know, I ended up coming out of that uh, purchasing my business partner out. Um, Congrats. And yeah, uh, now I am uh, working on uh, being a sole owner of this thing um, and, and <laughs> what that entails. Um, and and uh, so, it's, yeah, it's been a little bit of a journey. Sure. I've learned a lot uh, of things along uh, along the last six months of, of going through that. But uh, business transitions are never fun. But uh, generally, both sides come out happy on the other side and, you know, no animosity towards towards that. But, uh, yeah, that's you know, that's, that's uh, yeah, it's, that's kind of where we're at right now. So we're, we're in the middle of switching everything into JB and company. And I will tell you, you never understood how much your marketing budget gets screwed up <laughs> until you do a rebrand. Do a rebrand. Yeah. yeah. Holy moly. Um, you know, just to get canvases on buildings and, uh, you know, logos changed and you name it. Yeah. All the stuff you're not normally thinking about probably. No. And it's all of a sudden at the end of the year, Carrie's my in-house account and she goes, you know, we really blew that budget. (laughs) (laughs) Whoops. It gives you seasoning so you can advise your future. It does. It does. That's a really positive spin on it. That is. That is a very (laughs) positive spin on it. But, you know, like I said, we we were living and breathing in this space. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so we went through that bank big transition. We've made a lot of key hires here recently. Um, our firm's back uh, well north of 10 employees, finally. Um, wow. So hiring's been getting easier, which has kind of come along with this transition. In four space. locations, right? We're in three locations. Three locations. Uh, we're in Upper Marysville and Bell Fountain. Nice. Very cool. And then you just casually mentioned you farm on the side. So I tell me about that. I do farm on the side. <laughs> just a few so, acres. Yeah, yeah, just a few acres. Uh, I, I'm married into it. Uh, my okay. father and mother-in-law have given me the, the pleasure of joining them on the family farm. That's cool. Uh, which is which is fun. So a lot of times in the spring and fall, uh, I always say a lot of guys golf. I farm. That's my hobby. Um, so I spend uh, I spend time away from the office for a few weeks here and there, just kind of uh, getting some window therapy of yeah. uh, other things to do. Yeah, that's cool. So, that's a good way to find yeah, balance. You know, so. It never hurts to have a little blue collar work in there and, you know, keeps the calluses on my hands still there. There you go. So, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, people around here appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Yeah. Um, so what's what's next for you, and whether it's in farming or your, your JB and comp- company? Or? You know, right now I'm back focused in the JB and co since we went through the uh, kind of the transition. But, yeah. you know, we're really excited to continue. Uh, we're really expanding our outsource accounting piece. Um, you know, where we're 
doing a lot of back office for clients, whether it's HR, uh, all the way down, you know, you name it in the back office. We've had uh, tremendous success in there recently. Uh, and we're going to continue to expand that uh, well beyond what we're currently doing. Um, so that's probably our biggest thing we're working on right now. Um, how that, how we're going to, you know, market that and, and pick up the clients accordingly. But, uh, you know, that's kind of the big piece there. Uh, you know, on the farming side, I'm always looking to grow. I'm just shameless plug to myself there. Um, yeah. But, you know, I do a little real estate investing on the side, too, just for fun, because why not? Um, you know, there's never a dull moment. Yeah. So I think you're ready to start a restaurant. I'm good. I live vicariously <laughs> through everybody out there. Um, you know, I, I live vicariously through them all. enjoy the restaurants. I like, like my clients who are restaurants because <laughs> they feed me. Yeah. I don't have to do the, I don't have to do the work. I uh, love that. No, uh, I will. I will leave that to the the restaurant entrepreneurs. Um, I'm going to move us into uh, the show segment, rapid fire Q and A. Oh boy, are you right or left handed? I'm right handed. Right handed. What is your favorite part about farming? Oh gosh, running really expensive big equipment. There you go. Yeah, Let's that I didn't have to pay for either. Are you a John, <laughs> yeah. John house? What kind of? We are a Case IH house. house. Yes. Very very particular. Which yes, we are kind of red. Equipment. We are all red. Yeah. <laughs> cool. And then, um, what is your favorite Excel formula? Oh my gosh. Oh <laughs> wow. Talk about putting me on the spot. I don't know, guys. I I am, and then this is gonna. I hate VLOOKUP, so I'm gonna flip that on you a little bit. So, where I'm sure you've had people that'll tell you VLOOKUP, I hate it. Let okay. me just say, I bought Cam, who is a staff accountant in our office, <laughs> the Soothing Spreadsheets Calendar 2024. <laughs> he is in love. Every month, he's getting a new unique spreadsheet yes, hack. So. Yes, yes. And there he, are so many out there. It's <laughs> wild. He'll occasionally send one out to the full do you, team. Do you, for, yeah. do you know there's a competition out there for uh, like the Excel World Championships? No way. For people, yeah, it, it's a legitimate thing. I, Check it out. It's on YouTube. I would it, not be in there. It just, I, be, it I believe ha- it. It just happened a couple weeks ago. It's a legit thing that's out there. And I appreciate them for <laughs> pushing the, the edge on that, that front. <laughs> Uh, my last uh, rapid-fire question for you is, what is your favorite part about having a storefront in downtown Belfountain? I just love having everybody walk by every day. Whether you're eating your coffee, you're going to the Flying Pepper, you're stopping at Build, chances are we're walking around either front or the back of that building and we get to just stop and chat to people. We love part of the community. Yeah, yeah very cool. Uh, so a couple closing questions here is, uh, what is one professional development resource that was impactful for you along your professional journey? So here's the thing, and I'm, I'm going to always pitch this out to every entrepreneur that's out there. Find yourself an entrepreneurial buddy. Somebody that you can chat to. Try to find it not in your uh, not in your profession. I'll shameless plug mine out there. Her name's Casey Converse. She's an insurance agent out in Delaware. Her and I just sit down sometimes and just chat about all things business because I want to know her stories and she wants to know my stories. And it's so beneficial because you get to just talk about things that are going on and have somebody who can sit there. And we call it therapy session. Yeah. Um, yeah and and it is a big deal. Uh, and I encourage any entrepreneur. Yeah, I, I love that. That's a, kind of a fresh take, but yeah. I... I can see how that could be yeah. very beneficial. And then where can people follow you and your business to keep up with the work that you're doing? Yeah, come check us out. We're at jbcoaccounting.com. We're trying to, uh, the, the gals in the office are getting me way more into the social media aspect. <laughs> I am a nerdy number guy. TikTok, uh, here he comes. I know. I was going to say, <laughs> TikTok's probably coming. <laughs> TikTok I, dances. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be shocked. Um, no, you know, we try to keep you up to date through the through the traditional mediums, uh, LinkedIn and, and, yeah. and Facebook, but our website's usually up to date as well. Great. So we're trying to, we're trying to get some more out there some more content love it and i'll link some of that stuff in the show yeah, notes as absolutely well. jacob thanks for sharing your advice today uh what i learned from google <laughs> for every tax problem encountered there is a solution that's straightforward 
uncomplicated and wrong. <laughs> there we go. Just because someone says it's right, you'll hear someone that says it's wrong. Find the gray area, find the good advisors, find the people that back it up. That's who Jacob is to me, and I hope that you guys benefited. I know I benefited in learning some new hacks today, some new tricks, but um, just thanks for being a great friend and advisor to Small Nation. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in on this episode of the Small Nation Podcast. We hope that conversation proved valuable to you, and if you enjoyed it, be sure to share the episode and follow the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting platform. You can also subscribe to the Small Nation YouTube channel if you prefer to watch your episodes. Follow Small Nation on social media, and we'll see you in the next episode. Oh,